0: We're going to turn there, Second Corinthians 3 and verse 5, we're going to start out. Uh, but we're going to uh, continue the series called Unqualified uh, that Brother Sean actually started last week. And last week, uh, I listened to the message. Uh, I didn't preach to 12 o'clock, 12 o'clock um, our time, so I was actually watching clips of the messages uh, before I preached, uh, just so I could judge Brother Sean. And uh, no, he did a great job. Um, But Brother Sean started this series last week about unqualified and the point was he was trying to make was he talked about two kingdoms and there's a kingdom of darkness, there's a kingdom of light and God has qualified us to be in the kingdom of light because apart from him we are unqualified to receive any of the, the promises of God. We are unqualified to be in his kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love. To be in the family of God. We're unqualified, but Jesus has qualified us. And that's what the scripture says. Jesus has qualified us to be partakers of the kingdom of light. And so we're going to continue this series. I'm going to kind of go a little bit different direction. Uh, And he knew that ahead of time. So today we're going to talk about it. Next week we're going to talk about it. But I want to talk about unqualified in the sense of this. A lot of people think that they can't be used by God. Because uh, of their past, or their family, or their background, Uh, you fill in the blank. A lot of people uh, don't even come to church because they feel unqualified. Can I get amen in the house of God? There's a lot of people, they want to come to church, but the reason they don't come to church is they don't feel good enough to come to church. They feel unqualified to come to church. And uh, that is so far from the heart of God, but religion and the enemy tag team on this aspect of you're unqualified you're you're not worthy enough you're not holy enough you don't belong at church you don't belong in the family of God and the enemy in religion gets into people's minds and a lot of people stay away from church just because they feel unqualified i can't tell you the amount of people who said yeah i'm going to come to church when i get my life right but you'll never get your life right without God, so you'll be out here forever, because they're waiting to feel qualified till they come to the house of God, which is not true, because God is the only one who can qualify us, or some people would say, well, I can't fulfill my calling, because you don't know me, you don't know how I talk at home, you don't know what I watch at home, you don't know my background, you don't know my sin, and they count themselves out when God is trying to count them in. And there's so many of us in here today, but not just in here, but in every church around the world and every person on the inside, a lot of times they count themselves out when God wants to count them in and they have a calling on their life, but they feel unqualified. So that's what we want to talk about today and how God uses broken people to do great things. He uses broken people, people with issues to do great things. So a lot of times we count ourselves out. A lot of people won't even talk to God, pray, because they feel unqualified. They won't even talk to God. They want to, but notice what is that? That's, that's not the heart of God. That's religion that get, has gotten into people's minds, and then the enemy compounds that. There's people that want to come back to this church today that I've talked to, and I've told them, no, we love you. I want you here. I will pay for your food if you just come to church. And they never come. And they tell me they're coming every week. Now, what's the issue there? It's not that we're teaching that. What is it? It's the enemy and religion. He gets in to stop you from fulfilling the call of God on your life. He gets you to stay away from the people you need to be around and the church you need to be at. And he brings that condemnation to beat yourself up. Even though the people around you are saying, no, you're welcome here. We love you. We want you here. But notice that's a stronghold that gets into people's minds, that they have to qualify or make themselves right before they can come back to God. So we're going to talk today, and I believe you're going to be encouraged about how God wants to use every one of you in here from the front to the back, and he wants to use everyone that you go to work with, too. Everyone you go to school with, every person you come into contact with, God wants to use them. So let's read a scripture, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5. Look at the scripture, it says, It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. I love that. It is not, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking, because people were trying to throw shade at the Apostle Paul. And saying, you, you can't be the apostle because, you know, you had a past, Paul, because Paul did. Paul used to murder Christians before he got saved. So you think you had a big past. You weren't murdering Christians before you came to church today. The apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, that we still quote every week, even though it's been thousands of years since he's been here, this is what he said. He was kind of talking back to the people who said, you're not qualified, Paul. He said, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Our qualification comes from God. Now, you need to remember this verse. So next time somebody tries to throw a comment at you sideways, you need to say, excuse me. My qualification comes from God. Next time your boss says, are you qualified? Actually, I am, boss. Let me give you a scripture. My qualification comes from God. And they're going to say, you're fired. (laughs) I appreciate the verse, but you're still fired. Our qualification comes from God. For us to do anything we're called to do, our qualification comes from God. So uh, to kind of start this uh, message out, uh, I was thinking about the heroes of the faith. You read about the heroes in the faith in Hebrews 11. And you see people like Abraham and Noah and Moses and David. The list is endless with people in the Old Testament and the New Testament that God used. And we call these people, they're the heroes of faith. The hall of faith. When you read your Bible, you see the different heroes. Heroes. In the Bible, the characters. And the thing about the heroes of the faith, when we look at those people and how God used them, how God called them, how God did great things in their life, for some reason, all of us read the Bible with a religious filter on it. Because we read the Bible and we see the heroes of the faith, and we read it like they were perfect. Like they never had any issues. Like all the heroes of the faith were always like, oh, Never in an argument, always praying, always in their Bible, never sinning, never messing up. But these people were real people. Every single one, you can name any hero of the Bible today, and I will name at least one issue that the Bible calls them out about. Because they were human beings, they were not Jesus Christ. But God used them despite their issues, despite their brokenness, despite Whatever was going on in their life because they chose to let God use them. And when we respond to God's calling, God can do great things in our life. But he's called every one of us, but guess what? We have a free will, so we have to respond to God's call on our life. And so these here of the the faith, they were called. But we kind of read it like the preschool version. You know what the preschool version is. Your kids are only taught half the story back there. You know that, right? We're not trying to lie to them on purpose, but they get the cleaned up, pretty version of the Bible with the nice pictures. Everybody's all put together and everything's wonderful. They know about Noah's Ark and the animals. We don't have them color the picture of Noah being drunk, do we? Oh, kids... Yeah, Noah got a little tired of the animals, so he had to take a couple drinks. Wouldn't you too if you're on a boat for that long? We don't tell him that version, but that's the real version. And notice we get to thinking, oh no, it was just so perfect and so holy and the animals so cute. No, it wasn't. That long on a boat with that many animals in his family? There was some language going on on that boat. Could you blame the man for taking a drink after all that time? I'm not endorsing drinking. Don't say I did. But we, a lot of times with the heroes of the faith, we see the preschool version, the clean, perfect version of Abraham was so wonderful. Abraham was a liar. Father of our faith, man of God, liar. and God used him. Now he wasn't always a liar, but he did lie. In his past and his sin and his issue didn't stop God from using him. Cuz you want to know the truth? If God was looking for perfect people, he wouldn't have anybody to use. Nobody. God would be like, I, "I got nobody." Nobody. Other than Jesus, he would have nobody To use. That's why his qualifications are not perfection. God says your qualification comes from me. I know you got issues. I know you got sin. I know you got a past. I know you got a messed up family. I know what you're going to do in the future even before you do it. But your qualification comes from me. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding today. Our qualification comes from God. And that's a scripture. We just read it. It's not that we're qualified in our own self and our own strength. Our qualification comes from God to do whatever we're called to do today. You realize if we were just judging based on earthly standards or if you got to be perfect, there would never be anybody in the ministry. Nobody. I'm not in the ministry because I never messed up. I messed up a lot. That makes me a better preacher. Because if I couldn't relate to you, I wouldn't be a good preacher. But if the qualifications was perfection, no one would be used. No one would be called. No one would be qualified for ministry. You hear in my heart today. All the heroes of faith had issues. And notice God healed them, set them free, used them, called them. So we need to stop reading our Bible with this filter on it that everyone was clean and perfect and holy all the time. Because you know what happens when we do that? Then we don't think that God can use us. Because you're like, well, I'm not like Abraham. And I'm not like Noah. And I'm not like Moses. And I'm not like Jeremiah. And I'm not like Mary. And I'm not like Paul. So when we read it like that, we exclude ourselves out of what God wants to do in our life because we think, well, I'm not like these people. Actually, to be honest, you're in a lot better shape than most of the people in the Bible today because they all had issues. Moses. All the kids know about Moses and the, the, the Ten Commandments. They know about the Ten Plagues. They know about what God did and they crossed the Red Sea. But they don't color the Moses murdering somebody. Which he did. He was trying to protect somebody that was another fellow Hebrew that Egypt was abusing, but he murdered somebody. We don't color that version. And he said Moses was a, a friend of God. He talked to God face to face, he was a prophet of God, and God used him. Are you getting some encouragement so far? He's like, hey, I feel a lot better. My sin's not too bad. (laughs) And so we see that God used all these people in the Bible, men and women, not just men, men and women of God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You can read them, and they all had issues. And the Bible is truthful, and it leaves it in. It tells you what happened with them. So we could be encouraged when we read the scriptures like, okay, they did this for God. I could do something for God. God used them and they had this issue. God can use me. So let's look over at 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 in the New Living. I forgot to give you the title of my message. You ready for this? Okay, I need everybody... To get a phone. Play phone. I know it looks like this, but play phone. Everybody got one? I'm not gonna do this, I'm an adult. Do it. <laughs> I look dumb. If we're all doing it. Now Miss Donna, not hang loose so or not in Hawaii. Non joke. <laughs> Put it up to your ear. You ready for my message title? Your calling is calling. Look at your neighbor and say, your calling is calling. Look at your other neighbor and say, pick up. (laughs) There's something about mom and dad. Mom always answers the phone. Dad never answers the phone. And then dad judges us. Why don't you guys ever call me? You always call your mother because you never answer the phone. And it always goes to voicemail. But when I was living in their house, we actually had a home phone. You guys remember that? Back many years ago, it was like, hello? Anyone there? I hear the neighbor's conversation down the street. But we used to have a home phone. Every time, when the phone rang, it doesn't matter what time of day it was. It could be a telemarketer. But mom would say, somebody answered the phone. And dad would always say, let it go to voicemail. Every time, <laughs> let it go to voicemail. Let's see if, if they're brave enough. It's kind of like a stumbler thing. If you're brave enough to wait to the voicemail, y'all remember the stumblers? You got to wait to go. Goes... Don't, don't act like that. That's real stumbler people. You would have to wait for it to go to the voicemail, leave a voicemail and say, hey guys, it's me. Then a stumbler would pick up the phone. <laughs> Hoss knows what I'm talking about. That's what the real friends of the stumblers know what, know, what, you know. D, Bruce, we all know how it was. If you want to get a hold of them, they're home, they're just not answering right now. So you gotta wait for the voicemail, then say, Hey, guys, it's me. Please pick up the phone. Then somebody, like, hey, how you doing? Okay. But mom would always say, Pick up the phone, and, and it wouldn't matter what time, it could be in the middle of dinner. And, and dad would say, Let it go to voicemail. Because you're right. Ushers, what did I say? One more word. <laughs> So anyways, let's get back on track. Title of the message, Your Calling is Calling. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. So this is uh, written to the Corinthian church. Paul's writing this to this church. Now let me tell you something about the Corinthians. Corinthians was Las Vegas. Of all the churches, they were similar. Uh, Certain uh, cities were similar to certain cities today. And I would say... The Corinthians church, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Corinthians was Vegas. They were a party city. They were a wealthy city. They were a powerful city. And thus you see, Paul kind of says some straight things to the Corinthians church because they needed it. Because they were wilding out. They were gambling. They were drinking at the Lord's Supper, getting drunk. I mean, they were having a blast. And Paul said, okay, I need to talk to you guys about this. Um, Because, like I said, it was a Las Vegas type city, Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26, it says, Remember, he's talking to Christians, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy. Notice when God called you. 27, instead God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one could ever boast in the presence of God. Now let's go back to the first slide. Can we do that? 1 Corinthians 1, 26. But notice it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you when God called you so we're going to talk about this for a second how does God choose people how does God call people well he calls people who are humble and God calls people who realize their need for him and that's why he told this church he said God doesn't call people that you would call the wise, the powerful the wealthy He he a lot of times doesn't call those people. Why? Because a lot of times those people are prideful. And not that God can't use them, but they choose not to be used because of their pride. And God says, a lot of times I can't use people like that because they have their trust and their wealth and their power and their wisdom. So I don't call people like that. I call the people that are left out. I call the people that have issues. I call the people that this earth says are nothing, the poor, the broken, the hurting, the people with issues. And I do that on purpose because when I use them, I will get the glory out of their life. Because if he used the people that were popular and rich and wealthy and powerful, when they got to the top, they would say that they did it. And he says, I can't use people like that. He says, i got to use people that are nothing, that are leased, that are broken, that have issues. So when I bring them to the top and use them, then no one else could say, well, they didn't get there by themselves. Because I know them before God, and they didn't get there by themselves. God will get the glory out of their life. Come on, is anybody in this Pentecostal church today? Think about our founding pastor, Dr. Michael Jacobs. Before he met, God was a drug addict and a drug dealer, and he was eaten out of a dumpster, and he had roaches crawling on him before he met Jesus. And God called him in that mess. God called him with issues. God called him with long hair and combat boots. God called him with drugs in his pocket. God called him shooting drugs in his veins. God called him. And notice what God did. Forty some years later, guess who gets the glory? God. But if he called somebody who already had had it together, everybody's like, yeah, I knew they were going to succeed. Good job. Came from a good family. Did everything good? I knew you were going to succeed. No, when dad preaches tonight at Pastor Owens Church at 68 years old after being in the ministry for 40 years guess who gets the glory? God does. And he knows it's not me. He said before what Michael Jacobs could do was be a drug addict. What Michael Jacobs could do was eat out of a dumpster. That's the extent to what he could do. But notice God gets the glory out of people like that. That's why he chooses people that we wouldn't choose. And to be perfectly honest, there is a call of God on everyone's life in here, but on the planet, God has a call on their life, but we must respond to the calling of God because he wants to use us. He will not force you to be a part of what he's doing. He will not make you uh, conform to his will. You have to choose it. Now, hear me today. When I say calling, I'm not talking about being a preacher. Because most of you are like, I'm not called to preach. Calling doesn't mean preaching, preaching is a calling. But just because I said you're called and chosen and anointed, there's a million things you can do that are a calling of God. And a lot of it's outside the four walls of the church. Oh, I feel. I'm not even to my good scriptures yet. And so every one of you are called, not just those of you who feel like you want to preach. That's just one calling. But every one of you are called. And I want to tell you something encouraging today. In the Bible, in the book of Romans, I wrote this down. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That means once God has called you, he never changes his mind. I don't care if you mess up and you blow it, you are still called. I don't care what you do tomorrow, you are still called. I don't care what you did last week, you are still called. I don't care what family you're in, you are still called. Every person in here is called of God. But you got to respond to the calling. Your calling is calling, but you got to pick it up. Hello? I say yes, I want to do what God has called me to do, but you have to pick up the phone. Every person on the planet is called, though. But they have to respond to the call of God because we have a will. We don't have to do what God has called us to do. We have to respond to the call of God. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Some translations say the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. You are called. Everybody say, "I I am called. Say it again I am called. You should be encouraged today. You are called of God to do something. To be a part of His plan. To be a part of His story. To be involved in what He's doing. You are called. And your issues cannot stop your calling. And your mistakes cannot stop your calling. Because once He's called you, you're called. You know, if I went and did construction tomorrow, I'm still called to preach. If I worked at Walmart tomorrow, I'm still called to preach. Because the call doesn't change, even though we don't choose it. I could drive a truck, I could try to be a lawyer, I could do uh, whatever with my life, but that doesn't change the call of God on my life. And for me, I know it's being a pastor. So I could try to do other things with my life, and I would be absolutely miserable. Because just because I don't choose it back and respond to it doesn't mean God changed his plan or his call. Same thing with you. Just because you don't choose it doesn't mean God changed his mind. There's still a calling on your life. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. You guys getting something today? Let me tell you something about uh, your calling You can write this down. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Because if it was looking for the qualified, no one would be. He chose you before He qualified you. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And he chooses differently than the world chooses people. He chooses differently. That's why a lot of us don't think that God can use us or God wants us. Because he chooses differently. You guys remember Recess? Not the show. Uh, The real thing. You guys remember Recess? Uh, That was my favorite subject. I was like super good at Recess and P.E. That was some of my best classes. Um, but in recess, a lot of times you would play kickball or basketball, something like that, and so you choose teams. Talk about the time in your life where your anxiety level goes up and you're feeling insecure about yourself because you're going to choose teams. Now, I'm going to do a little humble brag on myself right now. You ready for this? Um, back in the day... I wouldn't get chosen first because I was never the best, like the number one at the sports, but I was always two or three in the draft because I was good, I just wasn't the best. I, w- I was never picked last, but I was, I was second or third a lot of times in the draft, so, so I had a lot of confidence because I knew if I'm not getting picked one, I'm getting picked two or three in this draft. And so they would, they would go and they would pick teams and kickball, basketball. And then a lot of times uh, it would end up one person left. Now I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but some of you in here were that one person left. <laughs> and and the, uh, the feeling you felt when you were that last person when they said, they didn't choose you. They said, come on. I guess you're on our team. They never said, like, I choose you. It's just like... Get on our team, I guess, so we'll have even numbers if we have to. But I'd rather play without even numbers just so we wouldn't have you on our team. Wouldn't they do that? It was never I choose you and you felt good about yourself. It was, get over here. I guess you can play. Go for it. Now, I've realized this as I've gotten older because I'm 30 years old. So, you know, I'm ancient compared to high schoolers now. Because I've noticed nowadays when they play basketball, at the quarry, I don't get picked second or third. I'm towards the end. And I have to say, you will pick me because I'm your pastor. Or you'll be out of the church forever. So guess who's number one pick next time? Me. Thank you very much. I've never felt that feeling until recently, the insecurity that rises up in you. You're like, all right, Pastor Jordan, you can play on our team. I know your foot's been bad for a couple months. Here, go ahead. Let's see what you can do. Thanks, guys. I'm not in a wheelchair. I'm 30 years old. Acting like I'm disabled over here. But how many know that feeling? Come on. But a lot of us feel like that's what God says about us. We don't feel chosen by God. We feel like God said, all right, if you're the only one I got left, I'll use you. Get over here on the, the team. Don't we, a lot of us, we feel that way? Not like that God really wants us. It's like, yeah, God feels sorry for us. So Yeah, come on, get on our team. But that's not the way that God chooses. God chooses differently than we choose. And God actually says, I go for the people who are the least likely to succeed. I go to the people that have issues that are broken, that people overlook, and I want to use them. Not that I won't use people that are wealthy and powerful, but a lot of times those people have so much pride, God can't use them. And notice, that's not on God's side, that's on their side. So God doesn't pick like the playground situation where he just says, ah, get over here if I have to. God chooses us for us because he wants us. Are you hearing me today? He wants you. And he chooses you. You're not the leftovers. You're not the B team. You're not the JV. He wants you. And he calls you. And even though other people overlook you, God doesn't overlook you. Are you guys getting encouraged today? Well, I want to talk a little bit about the life of David. This morning I was thinking about one particular Old Testament character and next week I might share one about a New Testament character who God used who had issues. But I want to talk about David this morning because really David was other than Jesus was almost like the most popular or well-known person. If you read the Bible, he is one of the most central characters in the entire Bible, David. There's kind of David in the Old Testament, there's Jesus in the New Testament. But David, now Amsie tried to steal my thunder on Wednesday night at the quarry because he talked about David too. But he didn't know I was talking about David this Sunday. And I said, thanks a lot. So we're going to tag team here. So David was well known for a lot of things. And I want to kind of give you an overview of his life and share some things that happened and how God used David. And I relate to David in a lot of ways. I relate to him because he was a musician And he was a worshiper. And he would be out there playing his guitar for the sheep. Playing his guitar, watching sheep. Worshipping God when nobody was looking. When nobody was around. He wasn't on staff at a church. He was by himself playing music for the sheep. Worshipping God, making up songs. Later on we know them as the book of Psalms. That you read all the time. Those are songs of David. David. He was writing tunes when nobody knew who he was. Out with the sheep. So I relate to him in that way, but also I relate to him because he was a builder of God's house. David loved the church. David loved God's house. And we'll see all throughout his life, he did everything he could to build God's house. So I relate to David in that way. And so I think all of us, we can see ourselves in the life of David. But I want to give you a scripture to start with. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. And in the Bible it says that David was a man after God's own heart. There's only one person in the Bible that God said that about. David. He was a man after God's own heart. Now the context of this verse is Saul was the king before David. David. And Saul was the king who had the looks. He was tall. He was handsome. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He looked the part. But eventually, because of his pride, he started disobeying God. So this is what happens. But the Lord said to Samuel, who was a prophet, he said, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Talking about Saul. For the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That goes with that scripture we just read. The world chooses based off what it looks like. So I choose you because you're strong, you're powerful, you're wealthy, you're handsome. I choose you. God says, I don't look at the outward, I look at the heart. And that's why he chose David, because David was a man after God's own heart. He had the heart of God. From the time he was young to the time he was old, he had a heart after God. And I want to say from this verse, before we go any further, God cares more about your heart than anything else. He doesn't care about what you look like on the outside, your education, what family you came from, whether you messed up or you didn't. God cares about your heart. Because man chooses by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And if he's got your heart, he knows he can use you. So we see that God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. Why? Because if he has your heart, he can give you the ability to do what you're called to do. He can give you the grace. He can give you the giftings. He can give you the callings. He can give you things. He's looking for somebody who's available and says, God, I want to be used by you. And that's what he saw in David. He saw a man after his own heart who, when he was watching sheep and playing worship music on his acoustic guitar, God said, He has my heart. He might not have all the ability he will have someday, but he has my heart, and if he has my heart, I'm gonna use him. And I'm gonna use him, and I'm gonna give him the ability to do what I'm called him to do. But I'm not just looking for ability, I'm looking for availability. So let's look at 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. And before we read this, there was Samuel went to Jesse who had eight sons. And he knew that God had called him to go to the house of Jesse to pray over and anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel the prophet goes to the house of Jesse and he goes and he starts looking one by one through the sons. And he goes to the first one, and the first one was the one who looked the part. He was tall. He was handsome. He was wealthy. And like we preached about a few weeks ago, he was the firstborn. So there was benefits from being the firstborn son. And Samuel knew because the Holy Spirit was on him. He said, no, that's not him. Went to the second one. No, that's not him. Third one, fourth one, fifth one, sixth one, seventh one. No, that's not him. There were seven other people before David. And God said, no, that's not them. And really, Jesse was not even going to present David as an option. He didn't even think that his own son would be qualified to be the king. He was the one son they left out in the field. I, know, I think some of you in here feel like that. He was the one son they left out, and Samuel knew by the Holy Spirit, there's another son, because I went through seven, and it's not them, and God said, it's in this house. And so what happened? Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? Notice he replied, there is still the youngest, Jesse replied. replied, But he's out in the fields watching sheep and goats. He said, send for him at once. And Samuel said, we will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him and he was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. Verse 13, so as David stood there among his brothers, seven other brothers, he was the youngest. Samuel took the flask of olive oil and he brought and anointed David with the oil. Listen to this next part. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And then Samuel returned to Ramah. David was the eighth son. Looked over. No one cared about him. Unqualified as the youngest. But God doesn't see things. Are you hearing me today? He doesn't see things the way we see them. Man judges by the outside appearance, but God judges by the heart. And he said, yeah, the seven are qualified in the eyes of the world on the outside, but they don't have my heart. But I'm looking for somebody who has my heart, which is David. And I'm going to use David, even though he's son number eight, because he has my heart Because he's looking for someone who has his heart. And he called and he chose David because he was looking for availability, not just ability. Here's something interesting about God that might kind of mess with your mind, but you need to think about it. God has something called foreknowledge. Foreknowledge means God knows it's going to happen before it happens. That doesn't mean that God chooses for it to happen, but he has foreknowledge as God. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. Here's something that will mess with your mind. God chose David knowing he would mess up. Are you here today? God chose everyone else in the Bible who was a hero of the faith knowing that they would mess up. And it didn't stop his calling. And it didn't stop his choosing because he knew those people had a heart after him. So they said, even though they're going to mess up in the future, they're going to come back around because they have my heart. And I'm going to still be able to get glory out of their life. Come on, don't go home, Mama, yet. I'm getting to the best part. So God knew David would mess up before he chose him. And he still... Chosen. But how many of us, when we mess up one time, we're like, I'm not coming to church anymore. Really? You're that big, you're going to ruin the plan of God for your life because you messed up once. Or you're like, I can't do what God has called me to do, I messed up. Join the club. God knew you would mess up ahead of time and he still called you. But if you have his heart, notice he can still restore Renew, turn that situation around because he knows you will come back to him. Your calling is calling. So let me tell you a little bit more about the life of David and then we'll close today. I appreciate you guys listening. So David, man after God's own heart, we we talk about him. He was anointed. But after he was anointed, he didn't go to the palace. He went back to the sheep. Most of us would have made Davidsalmistministries.com afterwards and started handing out business cards. Hey, I'm the king of Israel and I'm a psalmist. Here you go. Check me out on Spotify and YouTube. David went back with the sheep. He went back with the sheep. Playing his guitar, singing worship songs, writing psalms. You realize when David was writing Psalms, he didn't realize people were going to be reading them thousands of years later. Because, hey, you know he wouldn't have wrote some of those songs. He was like, no, that was for my private time. Nobody should have seen that. <laughs> that was a personal devotion between me and the Lord. I didn't mean to put, God, I pray that you kill them and crush their face. <laughs> he said it. God, I didn't mean for that devotional to go into Psalms, just the pretty ones. But he went back to to dealing with the sheep, scooping the poop, dealing with the sheep, dealing with life, playing worship. And then we know eventually uh, he went to Saul, who was the king. And Saul was having some issues. And a demonic spirit was tormenting Saul And David came and played the harp and it said when he played the harp, the anointing was there and the evil spirit left Saul. So Saul, he loved David. And we know his son Jonathan loved David. But Saul started getting jealous because he knew the anointing wasn't on his life anymore. The anointing was on David to be the king. So he tried to kill David and he tried to kill him for years and years and years and years. We see another thing that happened Uh, in that period of time, is David worked for Papa John's. You think I'm joking. It says that David brought bread and cheese (laughs) to his brothers when they were fighting Goliath. If that's not Papa John's, then what is it? It's not Qdoba, it's Papa John's. He brought bread and cheese on a donkey to his brothers. That was, you know, they didn't have a vehicle, but he had a little sign on his donkey and he was riding. He brought bread and cheese to his brothers. And notice when he got there, what happened? Uh, Everybody was hiding. His brothers were hiding. Saul was hiding, who was the king. Everyone was freaking out because Goliath was huge and Goliath would have killed anybody easily. And he was mocking God. David was a young man still. But you know, David had a heart after God. And he knew, this isn't right. And he said it. He said, this is not right. You're going to let them talk about God like that and not do anything? Everybody's like, yeah, we are. Because we don't want to die. But David had a heart after God and he said, God, I'll do it. Now what did we just say? Availability. Any of them could have said, I'll do it, but they weren't available. And David, who wasn't even a warrior at that time, said, God, I'll do it. And God said, Okay, you'll do it. You're available. I'll give you the ability to do it then. You're available. You have a heart after me. I will let you do it. And when he fought Goliath, there was no way he should be able to kill Goliath, but he hit him with a stone and he died immediately because he was available. I had a heart after God. You still here today? So we see that David, after that, he had favor with the king. He had favor with Jonathan, his son. But eventually, Saul killed himself. And David became the king. And David ruled for a long, long time. And he was celebrated throughout the kingdom because David was a good king. It's interesting in the New Testament, the time after time, they still talk about when they mentioned Jesus, they said, Jesus, son of David. Because that was an honor to be in the line of David. David was a good king, had a heart after God, but he wasn't perfect. God knew he would mess up and he still called him. So we see in our Bibles that David should have been at war. But he was hanging out on the rooftop, and it says he saw a woman taking a bath on the rooftop. Now, don't you think it's funny her name was Bathsheba? I'm thinking, listen, I don't care for preacher's jokes, but the Bible just sets you up too much. The lady was taking a bath, and her name was Bathsheba? I mean, you got to be kidding me. I was like, okay, God, I get it. I'll use it. I'll say it on Sunday morning. And so he was attracted to Bathsheba and her husband was away at war and he slept with Bathsheba and he called her husband back and he realized that uh, he couldn't have a relationship with her so he killed, got the husband killed and he put him in the front of the line so not only did he sleep with her but he committed murder to her husband and he messed up. But he had a heart after God. God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. and David, when he messed up, he knew he messed up. And we see that, because he had a heart after God, God restored him. God came back into his life and restored things. It's amazing that during that period of time, there's a story where the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, was removed. From Jerusalem where he lived. But then they got it back. And when the Ark of the Covenant came back into the town. Came back into Jerusalem. It says they had a party. Because God's presence was coming back to where it belonged. And David had a heart after God. Even when he was an elderly man. And it says even though he was the king. He danced before the Lord with all his heart. And he didn't care what other people thought because all sorts of people, even his wife and his family said, you're acting undignified right now. And he said, I don't care. Why? Because he still had a heart after God after all these years and said, I'm just excited that the presence of God is back where it belongs. And I'm going to dance and I'm going to shout because he was a worshiper. He was a worshiper from the time he was young to the time he was old. Come on, how many people like that in here? That you were a young person and you are a worshiper, but now you're still a worshiper, and you're always going to be a worshiper because you have a heart after God. Don't let old age tell you you're not going to wor- worship God anymore. I'm about to close. I know I kept you, kept you a while today. He knew David would mess up, and he still used him. So we see David's heart, that he would dance before Not just his family, but the whole nation. He didn't care. And he was the king. But it's amazing because he knew that he would mess up, but he still chose him anyways. And out of David's biggest mistake came God's greatest miracle. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The son that took over for David came from Bathsheba. Are you hearing me today? The person he messed up with. Solomon. He came from that line of Bathsheba and David. Because God's able to restore. God's able to redeem. And whether you messed up or not, out of your biggest mess and your biggest mistake... God can bring a miracle if your heart's right towards Him. Notice I said, if your heart's right towards Him. Not everybody's story is that way because their heart isn't right towards Him. But came Solomon out of that line, which we know Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, who wrote Ecclesiastes, who became the king, who is the wisest and richest man who ever lived, came out of that situation. So I'm going to do one last verse, 1 Chronicles 28. Brother Daryl, could you come play for a second? I appreciate you guys coming today. First Chronicles 28 and verse 26. Really, you should read this whole chapter because David talks about the goodness of God. He talks about the plan of God. He talks about how that God had redeemed him and blessed him and kept him his whole life. In this chapter, it talks about when David took up an offering for the house of God to build it. Since David was the king, he had a lot of money. And it says before David died, he said, I know my son Solomon's going to build the temple. And since I can't be the one to build it, I'm going to fund it. And it says that David gave out of his abundance, out of his overflow, he gave an over... In above offering to the house of God. You can read it in this chapter. Thousands of pieces of silver. Thousands of pieces of gold. Thousands of pieces of wood. The list is endless. Worth millions in our standard today. Or maybe even billions. But this is what it says at the end of his life. Because he had a heart after God. He messed up but he was called. So David, son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. He reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem. Listen to this verse. He died at a ripe old age, having enjoyed a long life with wealth and honor. And then his son Solomon, notice Solomon, he came out of his biggest mistake, ruled in his place. All the events of King David's reign from the beginning to the end are written in the record of Samuel the seer, the record of Nathan the prophet, and the record of Gad the seer. These accounts include the mighty deeds of his reign and everything that happened to him and to Israel and to all the surrounding kingdoms. So God used David, but notice at the end of his life, he could say, he lived a long life He lived a full life. He died with honor and wisdom and wealth. And God had blessed him. Even though he messed up. Because he chose to get his heart right with God. I'm going to encourage you today. Your calling is calling. All of you in here. Your calling is calling. And you need to respond to it. You need to respond to what God is doing. Don't count yourself out. God's trying to count you in because He sees your heart and that's what He's looking for, availability to do what you're called to do.